Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Mind, hosted by serial entrepreneur and author Mark Kramer. Tune into The Best Business Minds to listen to thought-provoking interviews with best-selling business book authors who are today's leading innovators, entrepreneurs, and industry experts from around the globe. Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. I'm Mark Kramer, serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. Today, our guest is Dr. Greg Reed, who has many best-selling books, but the one we're talking about today is Success and Something Greater. Greg, welcome. Hi there. Academia is not my middle name by any means, by the way. <laughs> you got a PhD. Well, I got a couple of them, but they're those honorary ones. It was, it was so interesting. I, I, I had a bucket list when I was a kid, like everyone, right? And yeah. my last thing on my bucket list was to get a, a PhD. And a buddy of mine had a school out in India, of all things, that Ted Turner got the last PhD. They put my name in the hat and let me do it. So Tonino Lamborghini and I flew there, did all the commencement speeches, and they gave me a big plaque. So now I'm a doctor. Nice, nice. So tell us about your professional background and how you became a motivational speaker. Yeah, to begin with, I'm the least qualified guy to do what I do. Hey, everybody. My name is Greg. I'm here in San Diego just a regular cat. I grew up in the beach city of San Diego, California, and I'm dyslexic. I can't spell very well. I can't read very well, yet I'm an international best-selling author and presenter. And the way you did it, or the way I did it, is that you work your strengths and hire your weaknesses. So I'm pretty good at the gift of gab. So I hired amazing ghostwriters that would sit down and take my words and craft them in a way that people would want to read it. That's awesome. And what's it feel like to be a motivational speaker? It's awesome. Are you kidding me? People always say they're going to retire and go, what other job you get where you walk in and everyone applauds and stands on their feet and tell you how great you are and give you a wheelbarrow full of money. It's not a bad gig, right? So the whole idea is I don't think I could ever give up this type of uh, thing. You know, I've been published now in 128 books, 45 different languages. We just talked it's got a star on the walk of fame, but the claim to fame lately has been, I, I run an organization called Secret Knock. It's the number one business networking event in the entire world, according to Forbes and Inc. and all the different magazines. And the way we did it is instead of coaches and teachers and mentors, we decided, why don't we just bring in the actual authority who's done what everyone else is talking about? So if you want to start a clothing line, here's the founder of Ugg Boots. If you got an idea for a board game, here's the guy who did Pictionary. If you want to talk politics, here's the president of Mexico, all the way down to a private Skype with Edward Snowden while he's hiding in Russia. Imagine going right to the source. And so that's what our event is all about. And it's just been growing. And do you partner with somebody for that event? And what's it cost to participate? I don't partner with any of it. It's just my event. I, it's so funny. It started with, uh, you know, I've done so many books. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with my work, I'm just giving you the short little thing. In 1908, Napoleon Hill wrote a book, uh, started a book called Think and Grow Rich. He was given a letter by Mr. Andrew Carnegie to meet all of his friends. A hundred years later to the date, the Napoleon Hill Foundation and the family gave me the same letter. And so basically I have a Willy Wonka ticket to meet any human alive. And I write books and films based on the interviews and the takeaways that we get. So now fast forward, people say, how do I meet your friends? So that's how the event started and it just kept growing exponentially. And, and but is there a cost to attend this event? Yeah, it's very expensive. Here's the funniest thing. It costs, I think, three grand to go the first time. And yet we will not tell you where it is. 
and we won't tell you who will be there. You just have to go in blind faith. It's been going for 15 years, standing room only every single time. And it's because, again, you can, you know, you, you can do this one time, but if you don't, you know, perform and deliver, then people are going to go talk smack. So what we do is we say, if we're going to have, you know, a circus with six clowns, we better throw in a whole bunch of animals and people <laughs> jumping out of cannons as well. And it keeps growing exponentially. This last time was kind of cool. We had the Little River Band come to a private concert. We had Dr. Joe Dispenza come in. We did a live brain scan on Gary Busey, the actor on stage, to see how that wild brain thinks. Yeah. All the way down to, yeah, it was, it was pretty spectacular. I'd be scared if they did a brain scan of myself. <laughs> that little Tweety bird in there, right? That's we all we all have the self-talk, and it's so interesting to see where it fires. And then more importantly, can you reprogram the brain uh, so that it starts firing in a different area? And that's what we're studying right now. How many people come to your event, this big event that you run? Well, it depends upon the venue. I, I move it around. That's what I'm saying. You don't know where it is. I don't even know where it'll be in March. So all I know is it'll be in San Diego. And we look for different venues so no one can just creep in and find us. Right. And by doing it that way, it's kind of cool because when people show up of authority, they don't have to bring secret service and stuff like that with them. And it's uh, it's kind of, oh, it's pretty spectacular. I got to tell you, if you ever get a chance, secretknock.co, you fill out an application, come check it out. It'll change your life forever. All right, enough of that stuff. <laughs> well, it was, it's interesting uh, for sure. So um, what's the hardest part? One of the things I did want to know was what's the hardest part of being a motivational speaker? I guess if you did it as a full-time job, like I run six different corporations. This is just like a side hustle at the highest degree, I guess, if you'd call it that. So if you're working as a full-time position, it would probably get in paid speaking gigs that would cover your um, you know, work-life balance. Yet I don't have that situation. I'm very fortunate that people come to me to ask me to go speak so I don't have to beat down the street. So I'm very lucky. And, and so what was your first entrepreneurial venture? Oh my gosh, 14 years old. It's interesting. Uh, when I was a kid, I liked nice things, yet you know, I couldn't get a job. I was too young. So I took my dad's lawnmower and I went door to door on the neighborhood and I got the neighbors to pay me $10 to mow their lawn. And then I hired the other kids in the neighborhood for five bucks to mow the lawn for me. <laughs> so I was just the foreman. And it was so funny. I got so much smack and trouble for that. Um, because I was taking advantage of the kids, yet now I'm awarded and celebrated for doing the exact same thing. And did you have one entrepreneurial hit that really made your reputation? I wouldn't say a reputation, but I, I, from age 20 to 40, I only had one job. I was in advertising sales. I grew a company from just an idea and ended up selling it for a lot of money. And then people kept asking how I did it. And I says, well, I listen to these tapes. I went to these seminars and someone says, you should do that. And I went, all right, that's a good goal. So I went full force and here we are today. And it's really interesting. I've been doing this for 18 years and it's been really, really neat. One of my quotes, the first book I ever did was called The Millionaire Mentor. And it's not because I you know, work with millionaires. I mentor inner city gang kids in San Diego. Happened to be successful. So I drive up in the new car and say, here comes my millionaire mentor. Well, when I did this book, I was turned down by 268 publishers in a row. And the 269th one said, we'll do your book, but change the title, beginning, middle, end. I told you, it's <laughs> I'm dyslexic. I can't spell, right? So I got a ghostwriter. They redid it. And it went on to inspire lives literally around the globe. But what's cool about that story is one quote from this book I'm gonna say, was shared 37 million times. 
I guarantee everyone on this call has heard my quotes before, but you just don't know they're, they're mine. You sound coffee mugs and bumper stickers. But this one says, a dream written down with a date becomes a goal. A goal broken down becomes a plan. A plan backed by action makes your dreams come true. 37 million times last year, yet I was turned down by 268 publishers telling me every reason why I couldn't do it. And I realized I would never let another person or myself talk me out of what I knew to be true. And a lot of people don't believe it. So check this out. I, I pulled this out for you. These are all my rejection letters. These are all the people that told me that I would never make it as an author. And it's really interesting because so many of these people are now my friends and allies because I do so many books. And I, every time they start giving me smack, I pull out the rejection letter and say, remember when you said, right? I know a lot of people carry those uh, rejection letters and that's fueling the fire uh, for them. Lisa Scatellini, a very famous mystery writer, said she got rejected by a whole bunch of publishers. And then one finally said yes. And now she is, you know, they call her the female John Grisham. And she's been a best-selling author for 20 years yeah, uh, exactly. and all, all and around the world. And that's the whole thing is, look, there's there's obstacles, there's opportunities, everything's around us. But the whole idea is to never let someone talk you out of what you know to be true. Not what you hope or you wish or you believe, but what you know. So when you're in the heart of hearts where you go, look, I know I'm onto something good. That's where I stay the course no matter what. Even when we're making movies and doing TV shows and things like that right now, just never let another person talk you out of what it, you, you know in your heart of heart. And I will tell people that's absolutely true because one of my books called The uh, Small Business Turnaround was rejected by 47 publishers, including my existing publisher, McGraw-Hill. And I wrote to all these publishers and said, I'll tell you what, I'll take no advance. I will uh, underwrite everything. Any losses you have will underwrite, still I'll turn me down. One finally said yes. And he did not only said yes, but he sent me a contract with money. And that book was named one of the 30 best business books in 2000. And, but nobody else believed in it uh, except for one guy. So you talked about uh, Dr. Napoleon Hill throughout the book. A lot, some people know the name, but they really don't know the background and what makes his insights and advice special. So can you just give us a little bit about Dr. Hill? Sure. Well, Napoleon Hill uh, published his first major book called Think and Grow Rich in 1937. The original name was Oodle for Your Noodle, and he was turned down for 15 years as well, just so you know. And now it's considered the number one business development book in the world, selling 100 million copies worldwide. But at age 23, he gained access to the richest man of the world, Mr. Andrew Carnegie, and it was supposed to be a 30-minute interview turned to be three full days and nights. And at the end of it, Carnegie says, I like you, and here's an opportunity. He said, work for me for free for 20 years, and I'll send you on a mission to meet my friends. You'll write the first of our formula for success. What are you going to do? And Napoleon Hill reached in his pocket, he had two nickels to rub together, says, Mr. Carnegie, not only will I accept that, I'll complete the task. Carnegie says, fine, you got yourself a job. But then Hill says, why are they going to talk to me? I'm a kid. I'm nobody. I'm not connected. He says, don't worry, I'll write you a letter of recommendation. When they see it, they'll know I sent you, give you all the time you want. Sat down with Edison, Einstein, the Fords, Rockefellers, and wrote the 20th best-selling book in history, Think and Grow Rich. But what a lot of people don't know is that Napoleon Hill, you know, was still a little scared guy because he didn't know how he was going to do it. But Mr. Carnegie was fascinated that he was willing to take action. And he started a stopwatch, giving his guest only 60 seconds to make up his mind to work for free for 20 years. And when Napoleon Hill said he agreed, he pulled out the stopwatch, there was 31 seconds left. But what's fascinating is that Carnegie made that offer to 250 men before Napoleon Hill. 
he was the only person to say yes, because most people get something called the bad case of the one size. I'll take action once I get the big break, once I get the kids out of the house. But the people that take action when the golden opportunity arises, they're the ones that we tell the stories about. So in the book, you talk about the great magic key. What is that? And by the way, so just so you guys also know, for those, I'm sure everyone's heard of Think and Grow Rich. Well, the last book he was supposed to write, Napoleon Hill, before he died, was called Success and Something Greater. He never got a chance to because he passed away. So the Napoleon Hill Foundation gave it to Sharon Lecter and myself, and we wrote the book. So what we did is we sat down and interviewed some of the most amazing human beings alive to find out what their secret sauce was, if there was such a thing as a magic key. And again, I think the magic key keeps changing for me, um, but it, it goes down to a reoccurring theme. And I saw some of the questions you wanted to ask me, but it goes down to this. PMA for me, positive mental attitude. The magic key for me is positive mental attitude. It, it keeps going down to, as I realize, if you get in front of a bunch of venture capitalists and you've got the greatest business plan, but you're dull, chances are you might not get that deal. But you could have the worst business plan, but have positive mental attitude and enthusiasm and be so passionate about your thing that you get other people excited. And I realized that that single thing can literally catapult your life and success. Again, I uh, have experienced it and know it to be true from uh, raising money for an insurance venture. I did for the, I said, what did you like about? It? And they said, nothing. I just liked how enthusiastic you were. Yeah. It's yeah. so funny because people are always looking for the magic bullet. And what it comes down to is, you know, don't be a jerk. It's <laughs> pretty easy. And Napoleon Hill always talked about success principles, but he also called the three causes of failure. And the three causes of failure was one, procrastinating, putting off till tomorrow what you can do today. Two, quitting before the miracle happens. And the other one was the inability to get along with other people. He says, if you can get along with other people and again, have PMA, amazing doors of opportunity will start unveiling themselves. It's so funny. Right now I'm working on a new book. It's called The Secret of Happiness. And the concept is I'm wondering, is there an actual ROI for happier people? Because I'm realizing that happier people have less medical conditions. They have better looking spouses and nicer cars. I'm like going, is there actually an ROI to people that live a positive life? And, and they do live longer. I've seen studies that Harvard's done where they typically live into their 90s. So you're, you're onto something there now, and, and we'll have to bring you back for, for that particular book, right, when that comes out. So uh, you talk about the importance of concentration. How do you define it, and what's the importance of concentration to success? Yeah, and again, people are, the people we interviewed are all across the board of their answers. So you got to play God when you interview 50 people, and you got all these different responses, which one works best for you? So I, I believe in singular focus at a time, but short amount of time. So for example, um, I've, I run six different organizations. So this morning, I'm going to have my team in here probably in the next 10 minutes. And what happens, I sit them down. And for six minutes at a time, I start a timer. I go, let's talk about secret knock event. Bah, 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 bah. And then we stop. I turn my hat like this and I go, now let's talk about the new movie we're doing. Bah, 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 bah. And then I turn the hat and say, let's talk about the work books we're doing. So what I do is I have laser focus for a short amount of time. And then those people are taking notes and they go out and delegate it to the different people that work within our organization. You have, you have creative spurts. Creative spurts. Yeah. Because again, I'm ADD, everything you can imagine, dyslexic guy, I'm just all over the place. And so rather than cry about it or run from it, I'm saying, well, what's my strength? My strength is 
I, I'm going to work it where I'm going to really laser focus for that six minutes before my mind drifts and go to the next one. And so most people just let it go. How many people have had a million dollar idea in the shower? And by the time they brush their teeth, it's down the drain. Six months later, you see it on a billboard going, that yeah. was my idea, right? People talk so themselves I, out of it. Exactly. So the only thing I do differently is when I have those certain, I stop what I'm doing and I laser focus. I write the notes and things so that I know when my brain skips, I can come back to it because I have it documented. So what's the relationship between ambition and the desire to have uh, and the desire to have concentration, you know, connecting those two? Well, I, I think they, they go together again. If you can have the greatest focus, but if you're not excited about it, chances are you won't see it come to life. That's why, unfortunately, most people drop their goals. You know, they talk about passion, how important it is. But unfortunately, passion's not enough to have success in your life. If passion was enough, then everyone that tries out for American Idol would be, you know, <laughs> celebrities. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you have to have passion. You have to combine it with talent. But if you're passionate, you're talented, you got a shot, but you got to take action with that God-given gift. But more importantly, you have to associate with someone in that industry. If we are passionate about singing and we are talented, we're willing to pay our dues, align with someone in the music industry who can open the doors and have the faith that that's our journey, that could be your own success equation. It all has to come together. Yeah, my daughter's finding that out working in Hollywood and really paying her dues that she's had for four years. You know, starting out uh, just being in the audience at Steve Harvey's show, getting paid to be in the audience and not knowing anybody and working her way up to where she worked on Paris Hilton's um, wedding last week. So, uh, you know, that's what it requires, just like you're telling people. Why do motivational writers always tell the reader they need to see a vision of themselves succeeding whatever they aspire for? What's the importance of that? Well, it's just visualization. It's the same thing as, you know, if you're a, a major athlete, when you can see yourself in your brain throwing that touchdown pass or going down the ice chute as a luge expert, whatever it is, it's so imperative to make sure that you can see it before you can believe it sometimes. Other people need to believe it before they can see it. I, for myself, think I need to visualize it in my brain. It's the same thing in making a movie or writing a book. I visualize it in my head and then I make it come to reality. You know, you talk about your daughter in Hollywood. Oprah Winfrey had a great quote and it changed my life. And I rarely say that, but it really did. She said, if you want to be in the media, become the media. And that one singular thing changed my entire life. So when I was brand new as, as a speaker, I wanted to get on more stages. So I created my own stage. And by doing it, not only to have my own stage, but to open up the doors and opportunity to meet everyone I want to get more stages around the globe. When I want to be an author, same exact thing. Well, now in movies, that's where we're doing right now in the, the whole media channel. So this right there, it's called Wishman. It's interesting. At Secret Knock of many years ago, the founder of Make-A-Wish was at my event. His name is Frank Shankwitz. And I said, Frank, what was your wish? He goes, what do you mean? I go, you're the founder of Make-A-Wish. You grant wishes to kids. What, what was your wish? And he says, no one asked me. I says, holy smokes, whatever you want, tell me what it is. I want to be the guy who grants your wish. And he says, I just want my story to be told so my grandkids will know I did something. So he signed over his life rights. I said, Frank, I'm going to make it into a major feature film. Just know I've never made a feature film. And he trusted me. And it took six years and trials and tribulations but when it came out in 2019, we actually made the short list for the Oscars on the ballad, and we trended worldwide on Netflix for a year and a half, and now we're streaming everywhere around the globe. What's the movie? It's called Wish Man. 
and the oh, moral right, is right. Yeah. yeah, that everyone can be a hero, right? And everyone's yeah. seen it all over the place. And that was created right here at this desk, that, that movie. And here's how it was done. At this computer, at this desk is how it was done. I go, I got to get started, but I know no one in the industry. I said, so I need a screenplay. I go, how do I get a screenplay? So I ran an ad on a secretive website called Craigslist. Don't tell anyone about it. For $25, the guy answered it. Theo Davies wrote the screenplay, directed the movie, produced it with me, and we won awards all around the globe. There is no excuse. Everything's at our disposal, but we have to take action. Who starred in that movie? We had so many actors in there. The actual star star was Andrew Steele, a, a new guy from Australia who came for a year and a half to live with Frank and learn all of his dialects and things of this nature. But we had every movie star from you know Robert Pine to you know Danny Trejo and you know everyone in between in this thing. I'm a Danny Trejo fan. I just read his biography about four or five months ago. And amazing. Was, just amazing. Yeah, but the moral is is that. Everyone can do it. And they go, well, it's easy for you. No, no one knows me. I mean, look, everyone watching this, you've never heard of me before. And guess what? When I called Hollywood, they didn't either. The only <laughs> difference is I had a positive mental attitude. I had a goal, a vision in my head. I could clearly explain what that vision was. And over time, found enough people to come on board to make it come to life. You're right. Well, what is meant by thoughts or things and relate that to constantly thinking the same thought will end up producing a result? So. Talk about that concept. Yeah, Bob Proctor, you might know him from The Secret. He and I wrote a book together called Think and Grow Rich, Thoughts or Things, How Your Thoughts Become Reality. And our thoughts are basically on a big hamster wheel, right? We wake up and we think, oh, I got to get some coffee. I got to go to the bathroom. I got to get to work. I got to go to thing. It's just this hamster wheel that we're on. And so we have something called the pattern interruption. That's the only time you can fit a new thought in. And so I realized that, you know, thoughts, believe it or not, are not things. And I thought for sure when we went on this journey that your thoughts become realities. If you focus on it, it becomes true. It's not. Again, I didn't win the lottery. I didn't turn into a six foot blonde. You know, the things that I was thinking didn't come to my life. And so we sat down with all these neurophysicists and scientists from Harvard and from all the universities. And we realized that we have 64,000 thoughts a day. Majority of those are called ants, automatic negative thoughts. They're the reptilian part of your brain to protect you, to keep you safe. So if you walked out of a cave, a dinosaur wouldn't eat you back in the day. Same thing applies today. If we have 64,000 thoughts a day and majority are negative, then everything should be chaos and drama in our world, but it's not. It's only the thoughts that we take action on become our truth and reality. So the whole idea is people say, I can learn everything about you by the people you hang out with. I say, I can learn everything about you by the exact circumstance which you're at, because your thoughts and your actions become your truth, and we are where we choose to be. Why does it take three to five positive thoughts to push out one negative one, and what does it mean in terms of people maximizing their potential? Well, it's exactly what we we're just talking about. Imagine life being a big trash compactor, right? And you have all this garbage in there. Well, what happens if it's stinky old diapers and rotten cheese, you got to put at least five other things on top of it to suppress that smell. Well, that's the way it is in our brain. So if we have these negative thoughts, we got to put three to five positive ones on top of that to push it down. So the positive things come up on top. So for myself, it's almost like having the courage to say, stop. And what that means is if I walked into your house and I had a trash bag and it was full of that nasty stuff. And I opened it up and started dumping it on your living room. 
guarantee someone's going to come out and go, stop, what are you doing? Get the hell out of here. Yet for some <laughs> reason, we'll open our brains and let people dump on it. And we just sit there, not me. <laughs> so as soon as they start putting that stuff in, I go, stop. Because again, wherever they left off, I got to go put three to five positive things so I can go on with my merry day. Now, what's meant by saying when the student is ready, the teacher will appear? It's a reticular activator system. It's RAS. So right now, if I said light switches, everyone look around for a light switch, boom, there's a light switch. Now it was already there, but until you look for it, you don't see it. It's the same thing you get on the vehicle and your car and you say red Hondas and you see red Hondas. When a student's ready, a teacher appears because Rumi, the philosopher, had a great quote. Whatever you seek is also seeking you. When we open our eyes, uh, no matter what it is, it starts magically appearing. So I'll give you an example. I'll take something weird, monkeys. So I guarantee monkeys within 48 hours, everyone will see a monkey somewhere. And the whole thing is you never would have noticed it if I didn't say monkey. See how I said it three times? So I planted to your brain, monkey. So as soon as you see a monkey, you'll know it came from me. That's when you mentioned the example about cars. All of a sudden, uh, you were looking at this one car. And now you notice all of those cars on the freeway. Exactly. Which, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Um, can you explain the concept of repetition compulsion and what does it mean in terms of achieving or not achieving your goals? You know, I, I've, I've got to change a philosophy on this one. So what's nice is that a good writer will write about what they need help with the most. And remember, I did this book many, many years ago. And so you progress as you go. So I, at one time, I believe that you, we need repetition over and over and over to ingrain to our brain. And now I'm more in the philosophy of what we want to do is we want to master something that we want to share with the world, but we don't have to master the simplest of tasks. Sometimes we can assign those to other people back to the work your strengths and higher weaknesses. So some people think, hey, if I'm bad at taxes, I should really focus on the repetition of tax and math. And I'm saying, God, what a waste of time. I'm going to go focus on the sales and the marketing where I kick ass at hire a great accountant. Now we're both working in our lanes and we're both going forward rather than me being stuck in something that I'm struggling and I've got glue on my heels. It just makes no sense. I think we are taught wrong our entire lives through school. I think we should be working our strengths or aligning with our strengths or teaming with our strengths because it doesn't always take money. You can have the greatest idea for a logo for a shirt, have another guy who makes t-shirts in his you know garage with a press and another person makes websites come together as a third a third partner and now all of a sudden you got a clothing line launch so there's all kinds of opportunities out there do you read a lot of books because you, you say you're dyslexic or do you listen to a lot of books on tape i i live my books so i i'll say neither uh, because i actually am very fortunate i'm writing so many books i'm around so many authors i get everything directly from the source that's why i started secret knock so instead of me sitting, having to read about neuroscience, I just bring in the top neuroscientists with Harvard, set them on stage and talk to them just like this. And I get the education uh, directly from the source. And what's really interesting is, again, everyone's saying it's easy for you, but come on, let's be honest. All you got to do is reach out. This is the biggest thing most people miss. The most successful people are the most available. If you're brand new, happy-go-lucky, you're cool. Top of the field, happy-go-lucky, nothing to prove. In the middle, pain in the neck. You're filled with ego. You're edging God out. Jump to the front of the line. So I realize that the most successful people are waiting to hear from us. As long as we open up the doors with specificity, those doors will open. And I'm going to explain what that means. 
nobody wants to go to coffee with you. They don't want to have dinner. They don't want to have their brain picked. But if you can go to them with specificity, all doors of opportunity open. Example, I want to get to the founder of NASCAR. I'm going to reach out and say, listen, I'm asking for 12.5 minutes of your time. I'll pay for all my own expense to get to you. From the moment I open the door to the moment I leave will be 12 and a half minutes. I'll start a stopwatch. I promise to be on time. I'm going to ask you one simple question. Bah, bah, bah. The chance of them coming from their office to the break room is so high for that. But unfortunately, people go, I want to take you to lunch. I want to pick your brain. No one wants to do that. So the more specific you can be, the more doors of opportunity will suddenly start opening. Um, one of the audience says uh, uh, she thanks uh, you for being on this show. And she said, Definitely. thoughts on effective storytelling. What worked best for you to become very effective and eloquent in storytelling? Well, it's interesting. Thank you for asking that question. And it's, I'll tell you, it's so interesting. I almost feel like that's a plant. I have no idea who said that. Uh, but when I do public speaking, I, I never focus on a 90-minute talk. I focus on what I call songs. A song is two to three minutes. It has a beginning, a middle, an end, a little melody in the middle that people remember. And by doing that, people will remember that ditty. So when I go do a presentation, whether it's the United Nations, the Pentagon, or a big corporate event, what I do is I do a set list just like a musician would and say, I want to tell that story, that story, that story, put it in front of me, and that becomes my talk. And so, but I master those three-minute songs. I'll give you guys an example right now. And I'll, we didn't plan this. Mark, give me any topic in the world. Go for it. Topic, go. Oh, um, how to start a motivational business. You know, it's been said that we're a reflection of the people we hang around the most in our income, attitude, and our lifestyle is the average of the group. If you hang around champions, you become one too. One of the greatest ahas, the greatest takeaways I ever had was a motivational great who was not a motivational speaker. His name was Steve Wozniak. Now, you know him yeah. from starting Apple Computers. And I asked him, I said, how is it that you and Jobs had so much success in your life? He goes, that's easy. He goes, we embraced our lack. Go, what do you mean? He goes, we embrace what we didn't have. We didn't run from it. We ran toward it. I said, give me an example. He says, well, when these microchip processors came out, they'd have machines that go from point A to point B with 20 chips. They had all the money of God. He goes, we could afford only one of those chips. He goes, job sold this car. I sold my calculator. We pulled our money to buy one of them. And he says, so I would take those big machines that go from A to B with 20, pull away five and get it to work with 15. I'd pull away five, get it to work with 10. Eventually, we went from A to B using our one chip. He goes, but we were not trying to be innovative or cool or aerodynamic. We could afford one chip. But by embracing that as an opportunity, we found the shortest, cleanest path. And by doing that, we changed the way people do personal computing for the rest of the world, for the rest of their life. He says, where could you be right now in your own business if you stop looking at something as your greatest challenge and obstacle, but it could just be your greatest blessing, greatest opportunity? in disguise. All right, there you go. There's a story, right? So that's a song. So right there, I mastered that song and I've told it so many times that I know where to hit, where to smile, where to think. And so what happens is I have so many songs that no matter what someone wants me to talk about, I've got a song for that. Great. Here, another question from the audience. <coughs> what is the most interesting book you've read recently? Gosh. Again, I've been not a big reader. I, I, I digest the contents of it. 
uh, like I said, audible, or I go meet with the authors and sit them down where I get the gist of it. So, you know, some of the greatest books I've ever read, for example, my number one author, his name's Jim Stovall. He wrote a book called The Ultimate Gift. And if you ever get a chance to read that book, I mean, I recommend that more than any book I've ever written or any part that I've ever been part of. The Ultimate Gift is just an incredible project because it teaches you the true power of mentorship. And it's about taking action and not just thinking about what you want to do. Another question from the audience. How important is establishing a routine in your daily activities, such as keeping with early to bed and early to rise to be successful? Yeah, I, 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 again, I call bullshit to that. It's like mm -hmm. one of those type of the things that, you know, people say usually because they have no, um, you know, personal ambition because they have to create something for themselves. But I, I, I wake up when my eyes decide to wake up. I created a life that I live a life without an alarm clock. So my ultimate goal was to live a life where I didn't have to be anywhere at any time or have any schedule. And by doing that, my creative juices flow. So I wake up when I want, I go to bed when I want. And more importantly, I get to produce and create so many amazing things because I'm doing it without having a time system that I'm trying to keep up with. Because if I'm thinking I got to get from here to here and here to here, how am I possibly going to come up with the next idea for the next movie or book or inspiration that I'm learning along the way? You're disciplined and you're structured, but in a different way than people think of discipline and structured, right? Not really. You have to be very disciplined to do all these things that you've done. I delegate. That's not true. I, I disagree. So I, 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 all I have to do is you have to put the right people in the right place. Look, I'm just being straight. You're asking me a question. And I'm yeah, answering. yeah, for sure. I know, I know everyone wants a different answer, but it's not that way. So for myself, I have team meetings on Mondays and Fridays. And at so at, I know at nine or 10 o'clock, when people roll in, we're going to have a list and they sit there and say, here's where this is at. Hey, by the way, here's secret knock. Boom. Here's how many attendees are coming. Here's the speaker lineup. Here's where we're at. Here's the revenue. Here's where we're at. Great. Boom. Hey, by the way, your next book. Here's where we're at. Here's on chapter thing. There's what our publisher said. Boom. Next one. Hey, the movie. Here's where we're in casting. And so what happens? Then I go, okay, delegate this, delegate this, delegate this. Here's what we're going to do. And then I have people that I trust. And I actually, here's what miss, most people are missing. I actually delegate and get the frick out of the way and I'll let them go do their job. Again, if I was a great casting guy, I'd be doing it. I don't know how. So I signed that to someone to go do the casting. What a concept, right? So I believe in great leadership. The greatest leader should have the most free time known to man. And that's what I realized why I get access to all these famous people, because the most successful people, the most powerful people have the free time because they understand the power of delegation so they can get out of their own way. There's a new book, The Power of Delegation. Yeah, exactly. I was lucky enough to read Think and Grow Rich, Service. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. PMA is the key. I know it's interesting because even W. Clement Stone, which was the person who really helped the point, he'll become famous. Yeah, I've read his stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, they fought uh, friendly. They friendly fought because uh, Napoleon Hill said the number one characteristic for success was uh, definite major purpose. And W. Clement Stone said, nope, it's PMA. Positive <laughs> attitude. And they debated this. And it was like one of their friendly little debates over and over and over. And again, I agree with W. Clement Stone and I disagree with Napoleon Hill in this aspect. Because again, you can have that definite major purpose and goal and things like this, or you can have that passion, but passion isn't enough to get going, especially to see it through all the time. If passion was enough, then again, everyone would be a famous musician or movie star or whatever. 
but it's the action behind the law of attraction that makes your dreams come true. You got to think it, feel it, get off your backside, take action, you can have it. Another question from the audience. Any suggestions how a person who is neurodiverse and having many issues in social communications to lead a better quality of life, he does not fit in your principles for success? Okay, is the question, how can they do it or have I met somebody who does that? Well, I guess you could say both, right? You know. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, this is a very interesting little fun fact. So I am a um, uh, introvert and extrovert at the same time. So uh, here's the situation. If I'm on stage or if an event is around a presentation, I am the life of the party. I am the funnest guy in the world. But if I go to these events where I don't know anyone or a dinner party, I'm a little wallflower in the corner and sit in the thing. So I have two sides to me. So I understand that feeling and I enjoy my downtime and my free time because, again, I like to be by myself as well. So I think most people that have any type of uh, public eye, there's also another side of them as well. Um, One of the questions from the audience is, how would you describe your life philosophy? Well, you know, here's always speak the truth. You know, just don't lie, cheat, and steal. It's pretty interesting. Thing. That's why I raised my son. That's our concept. If you do what's right, amazing things start coming your way, even when it's hard. And I, we have a philosophy is you do what's hard and the rest will be easy. And what does that mean? Well, if we've been putting off a tough conversation or doing your taxes or, you know, something that's hard, as soon as we address that and get it out of the way, everything else is cakewalk. So for me, when I wake up, I think of what's the toughest thing I've got situation. And I deal with that first. And by doing that, my entire rest of the day is pretty much a cakewalk. But most people do the little stuff and they keep putting off, pushing off, pushing off that tough thing. And then they keep pushing off down the road. And the most successful people deal with that head on. So for people who have consistent negative thoughts because they believe they will fail, how does one retrain the brain so they think positively uh, that anything is doable or they're at least willing to try? Yeah, I'm not a psychologist. I'm, I'm not a therapist. I'm just a regular cat. And so I'll tell you what I did. And then maybe it'll work for you is I believe in a lot of this meditation stuff. And there's a lot of these CDs and projects that you can put into your earbuds and they put higher frequency, um, you know, uh, energy into your brain, or you can do uh, self-guided meditation and things of this nature. And that's what I did for myself uh, to get me through some of the toughest times. But again, I can't give psychological advice. It's, that's not uh, what I do. It's so funny. My mom's a psychologist and uh, I was I always said I was our greatest test subject. She'd shove me <laughs> in the wall, you know, into the, uh, into the closet and say, how does that make you feel? Right. <laughs> so that's pretty awesome. So uh, how do you find your true purpose? Because many people think they know what they want to do, or they just set monetary goals, but how do you find your purpose that leads you to a content life? What's your experience on this? Again, back to that purpose thing. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I, I, I'm on that pit wavelength. Look, so many people talk about purpose. They talk about legacy, and again, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to call bullshit to it. And the reason is, is that there's no such thing as legacy. There's just no such thing, and it's all made up. And it's what we do is we train our brains to make us feel good while we're alive. But all we have is here and now. And if you don't believe me, um, let me ask you this. And I do this at my seminars. I sit there and say, everyone stand up and say, look, if you know your father's first name, uh, stay standing. And everyone stays standing. I say, if you know your grandfather's name, first name, stay standing. 
how about your great grandfather? And then there's only like eight people left. And I say, how about your great, great grandfather? <clears throat> and everyone's sitting down. I'm going, look, talk about legacy. That's your own, that's inside your blood right now. You are those people and you don't even know their name. That's how much your legacy is. You're lost as in third generation. So the whole thing is what we can do is kick absolute ass while we're alive right now, do the very best we can. And hopefully we can leave the better world for the people that are within our sphere of influence so that they carry that torch to the next generation. But that's about the limit to it. So that's my belief system. It's so funny that back to the star, I'm, I'm 58. I'm an old guy. My kid's nine. I go, he's never going to go to my grave. But for the rest of his life, when he goes to Vegas, he'll go, hey, that was my dad. That's why it was such an honor to do. And I know I, I talk about my son a lot because it was kind of cool. I'll show you this. When he was a kid, he's nine now. When he was a kid, seven, he did an album. It was the number one album on all of Amazon. Isn't that crazy? And it was spoken word where he does a mantra. And every night before he goes to bed, he goes, my name's Colt. I'm happy. I'm powerful. I'm brave. I'm wise. I'm worthy. I'm successful. I help people. And he says that every single day, my friends put hip hop music to it, went off. And now he has his own Spotify channel. Go figure, right? And at nine. At wow. nine. Well, he did it at seven. Now he's old at nine. And at old at nine now, it's kind of cool. Um, we, we had an epiphany last year. And here's the epiphany. Someone asked me, says, do you give your son money to do things they don't like to do for allowance, like pull the weeds, make the bed? I go, absolutely. I'm going to teach my son the power of money. And they said, Greg, that's too bad. You're destroying your son. I said, what? And that right now, I'm going to give you a paradigm shift that maybe you'll do like I did. Blew my mind. And says, you're training your boy from the earliest of memory. The only way to get paid money is to do something they hate. And I said, holy crap. So I sat him down and says, Colt, I go, you're kicked tail at making these TikTok videos and Instagram memes. I go, look, I got a million followers. From now on, I want you to make my stuff for me. I'm going to pay your allowance for doing what you thrive at. And by the way, to live in this mansion and live the lifestyle you do, um, you're, we're going to call that contribution where you do your bed and things. And he said, okay, change everything. And so now when he comes up, he never says, I can't afford something. He comes up and says, hey, dad, how can I afford this? How can I make you some memes so I can get this? And it changed everything. So he's learning now from the earliest of age to get paid to what he thrives at and what he excels at so he can have anything and everything he ever desires. The genes are very strong <laughs> in your family. That's for sure for how he's turning out. You provide a story about Lisa Copeland who um, brought Fiat to the U.S. and she warns businesses not to let mediocrity hold them back. How do you screen for mediocrity, especially in a fast-growing business where you're just trying to add bodies quickly? Well, good enough never is, right? So good enough never is. It's always about going above and beyond. Like I said, even with our event, Secret Knock, I make sure that we always go so far beyond the level of expectation so that people go on and tell their, you know, everything people about it. When I was doing this one book here, it's called Wealth Made Easy. Uh, when I was hanging out with Mr. Lamborghini, I asked him a question. I said, why is it that you and your dad created so much success without a commercial in your life? And here was his answer. He says, all you've got to do is create a product, good service or experience that people will save their money to happily hand it to you. I said, what do you mean? He goes, Greg, no one's going to save their money to buy your book, but they'll cash in their 401k to drive my car. He goes, no one's going to spend $3,000 a night to live in their own apartment but you're going to cash in the family vacation fund to go to Anaheim and give it to a mouse with big ears. He goes, if you can create a product, good service or experience that people save their money to happily hand it to you, you'll never run out of revenue. 
Interesting. That's a good way of looking at it. You give examples of people who have come across great adversity from tragic circumstances to learning disabilities. Do you think you were either born with resiliency or you're not, or you're not? Or is it something people can be taught? And if so, how? So can people be taught to be resilient? I, I believe so. But this is, a, again, a philosophical question. They've been working on this on West Point for years to say, you know, can a leader, can a general be created? Or is it one that's just born that way? And so it keeps going back to what comes first, the chicken or the egg. And I don't know if there's an actual real answer, but I do believe that resilience, as long as you find something that you are going towards because it's something that inspires you, something that ignites your senses, you'll see it through. So for example, when we did Wishman, again, I was turned down for, oh my gosh, six years in trial. You have no idea what I went through for that movie, but I knew I had to grant this guy's wish. It didn't make a difference. It, it had nothing to do with me. And I realized that the people that see things through the most of the most challenging times is when they are not attached to it. So, for example, when Elon Musk is going to Mars, it's for mankind. It's when other people are working on these things that has to do with the betterment of mankind in general. Those are the people that never give up. But it's when people have these individual passion goals, they might drop the ball once in a while. And it was really interesting, especially meeting all these people where, you know, 100 millions to billions. When we did Wealth Made Easy, you've got to read this book, by the way. All I did is sit down with people worth 100 million to a billion dollars to find out exactly what they did. And none of it was genius rocket science. None of it was passion-filled. It was all seeking an opportunity and capitalizing on it. And I'll give you one that kind of hurt my brain if you want to hear it, but it might hurt your paradigm <laughs> like I did with the uh, kid and the, uh, uh, you know, getting allowance. I, I sat down with a multi, multi, multi-billionaire. And I said, why are you so wealthy and I am not? And he says, Greg, that's easy. He goes, do you believe the bullshit lies that you're spreading to the world? He goes, we hope you keep that up because you're making us rich. And I said, well, explain that to me. And he says, well, he goes, you're the greatest purveyor of the greatest lie that's ever been told. And I said, what is that? And he says, to go find your passion and the money will follow. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you'll see someone that is a welder their whole life, an admirable profession, but they retire with a nest egg. They go to a Tony Robbins seminar and says, go find your passion. They open up a yogurt shop. He goes, 95% of businesses fail the first year, not because of the initial capital, not because of passion, not because of drive, not because of action. It's because they're a welder and they're not a yogurt manufacturer. He goes, but unfortunately, when they go under, when they go down, it's like holding on to an anchor. They go down with the ship and they pull their car, their house, their boat, because it's their baby. It's their passion. Unfortunately, they take everything with them. And he goes, we come in and buy that pennies on the dollar. He goes, can you make more of those bumper stickers, please? <laughs> I go, what do you mean? And he pulled out his cell phone and it was my meme. And it says, follow your passion and not a paycheck. And he goes, and then you wonder why you're broke, you dumbass. I went, holy smokes. He goes, wealthy people, we look for and capitalize on opportunity. We're like a game of Frogger. We ride a log and as soon as it dips, we jump to the next log. We can never go down with the ship. It's just business. He goes, but we create so much wealth, so much prosperity that we use this abundance over here to finance our passion. He goes, you guys do it in reverse. He goes, but guess what? The sheiks in Saudi Arabia and the Gettys that built America had no passion for crude oil. Waste management has no passion for dirty diapers and rotten cheese. Aggregate dealers have no passion for sand and gravel that built the freeways. Yet they're also the people that built every football team. They're also the ones who built the universities, the ballet. 
He goes, until you can get out of your head and see things from a different point of view, you'll only see things from one way. He says, we own the stadiums and the NFL teams that the people are given their brain matter on the fields following their passion. He goes, once you see the different paradigm, everything might change. That's very insightful. I don't make, I don't think most people even think about that that way. And yes, folks like yourself have been pushing that passion button. <laughs> By the way, you weren't expecting this interview, were you? Everyone's like yeah. going, this is a little different. For sure. Hey, what was the biggest fail you, you ever had and what did you learn from it? Uh, number one, I, I don't live in the past uh, and there's just too many of them to count. And Every single project I do is just a, a, a series of failure. It goes from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. So I, I don't stay in that uh, I, I paradigm at all, but I will tell you some of the good stuff I'm working on, which is we got some great books coming out. We got some great movies. We got some great projects. And that's what I focus and put my attention toward. So many of our listeners are entrepreneurs, business executives, and aspiring entrepreneurs. You have a chapter dedicated to finding the gap that could create value and ultimately make you financially successful. And you were just talking about that with these folks uh, that told you, here's what they look for. How many years did it take for someone to figure out suitcases should have had wheels? What process do you go to or do you recommend for identifying that gap that these folks that you just mentioned? Yeah, one of my favorite guys that comes to Secret Knock, his name is Jeff Hoffman. And he does something called info sponging. So one day he was like looking at the uh, magazine section and they're talking about fruit and they realized that fruit goes bad after a certain thing and they have spoilage. And then they also there was talking about the new Internet stuff that was coming on where there's opportunities from people all around the world to uh, go on to have access. And then he sat on an airplane and as they closed the door, they realized all the empty seats. There's all the spoilage, just like in the fruit, and came up with the concept of Priceline.com. So the whole idea is it's info sponging, seeing all these different things and putting together. At one time, there was ice cream, vanilla, there was a stick, and there was chocolate. But it wasn't until a guy puts it into the uh, stick, into the ice cream, into the chocolate that makes good humor that goes on to become a billion-dollar franchise. So all opportunities around us, it's a matter of seeing things from a different lens. I'll give you a great example. Again, Back to Wealth Made Easy. I know we're not talking about this, but this is a great one. Uh, uh, Jason Steiner, uh, Steiner Sports. If you ever got sports yes. memorabilia. Yeah, I had him as a client. Great, great guy, right? But he, yeah. he said he made his biggest chunk of money during the crash in 2007 and eight from dirt. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, if I had a pair of shoes, you know, baseball shoes, I could sell them for 500 bucks. He goes, but if Derek Jeter's, they were his shoes, I could sell them for a thousand. But if Derek Jeter signed them, I could get them for 3,000. He goes, but if there was, dirt on Derek Jeter's shoes that were signed, I could sell them for $10,000. There was money in dirt. And he realized that they were tearing down all the stadiums and things. So he went in and bought the rights to haul the dirt of the field out. And by doing so, he put it into pencils and keychains and all the different stuff and made tens of millions of dollars selling something that literally was going to be taken to the dump. And to me, that's just a great epiphany or, uh, you know, eye awakening experience that literally you know, opportunities right below where we stand. You know, I, I had to look up while you were talking and wonder, how did I meet you? And uh, back on November 14th, almost a year ago to this day, you had invited me to join Secret Knot. And, uh, and of course, it was during the pandemic, but uh, I'm hoping I'm going to get a chance to come again. But I was looking this up. You mentioned the founders of Barefoot Wine or, uh, Wines, and, and they've been on the show. 
Uh, and uh, you mentioned how they use the power of asking, which I actually use them in providing advice to an entrepreneur on how to succeed in a very competitive field. Please explain the power of asking. Well, you've had them on the show. I'm sure you've done a deep dive with these guys. They're just regular cats. All they did was they understood the power of knocking on a door and, and, and the power of asking. You, you cannot get what you don't ask for. It's the same thing back to, I like to use my son. The other day, I uh, was driving him to school and he was asking me for something over and over and over. And I go, Colt, I go, I got to know, why is it that you just won't stop asking me for this? And, and he says, well, that's easy. He goes, I'm not going to let a simple no keep me from what I want. And I went <laughs> right out of the mouth of babes. And the whole point is we cannot let somebody tell us what we can and cannot have. Paul J. Meyer, the billionaire, he sat me down one time. And he says, Greg, your success is in direct proportion to your ability to withstand a no. He says, if you'll ask enough ladies out, eventually you'll get a date for the dance. So you, you talk about uh, visionaries and you talk about the founding fathers and about a company called Digital Insights. And so how do you create an authentic vision that potential customers, employees, and investors will embrace them? I mean, you've got all these people you're going to be meeting with after this show and clearly they bought into your visionary way on these different projects. How do you make those things authentic? Clarity. That's it. So many people sit around and say, okay, I'll give me an example. Uh, I'm working on a new project right now. I'm going to ask you something, Mark. What's your secret of happiness? Go. Oh, my secret of happiness is uh, getting to do what I want to do every day, uh, working on interesting uh, new projects. I have, like you, like five, six projects going on at any one time, and I like the creative aspect. Yeah, most people get stuck on what they want. So if you ask the average person, what is being rich me. Everyone wants to be a rich. Great. What does that mean? I want to be happy. What does that mean? I want this thing, but people don't have clarity in their statements. And with clarity comes competence and competence comes, you know, satisfaction and other people get excited about it. So every project I do, I have complete, utter clarity of what I'm doing. I'll give you an example. I'm casting right now a brand new movie and it's called A Mexican Christmas. It's a romantic love story, a Romeo and Juliet of a Mexican girl from San Diego falls in love with a rich white guy from the Hamptons. The dichotomy of those two families as they fight. Finally, they have their separation. They come together on Christmas morning, reunite, proposes, and gets married a Mexican Christmas. There you go. And so by having this clarity of statement, everyone understands, sees, it's clear. So when I go out to present what I'm working on, and I do it every single time with that type of same vision, I can get people on board where they can ask clarifying questions. No question that any of the famous successful entrepreneurs couldn't have done it without a great supporting cast. And, and you talk about the great supporting cast that you have. How do you find or quote unquote good people, because you mentioned that in the book, who don't necessarily have ambition of building a great company? How do you find those people that help you fulfill your vision? That question is a little odd. So how do you find people that don't have ambition? Yeah, I mean, in the book, you were mentioning that, you know, finding good people that don't necessarily have ambition to start their own thing, but yeah. they're quite happy in working with you to help you realize your ambition in all these different projects. But they have to be good, solid people that can get the job done. So how do you find those people? How do you attract them? 
Yeah, well, that was written in a book, but again, doesn't necessarily mean that that's my belief system. So, okay. you, know, that, that, you know, that was a aha and a takeaway from years ago. Um, and so what that is, what you're referring to, we call it the second banana syndrome. So what we, a lot of people do is they look for second bananas because they know that they can rise to a president level or vice president level, but they'll never overthrow the king. So therefore they can put them in thing. I have a different philosophy. I only look for people that are on their way through. And so what that means is I love people through. Usually each person that works with us is for a period of time. So for example, I have a new uh, individual, his name's Kevin McLean, runs all my six different corporations. And we have a three-year contract knowing that in three years, if I do my job right, he will learn every single thing I need to know or he needs to know that he can go do this on his own or do it somewhere else. So I'm not afraid of competition or people leaving me. I want to love them through. And what happens by constantly bringing these amazing people and I share all the information with them, I'm growing exponentially at the same time. I always used to tell people, if I hire you and no one tries to hire you away from me in the next one to three years, then I've made a mistake. Yeah. And I, I, the first thing I say when people come in, I say, you will be headhunted by everyone, even my friends. That's normal. Get used to it. It's just part of the life. You mentioned a, a gentleman who worked, uh, he was a portfolio manager and, and performance for Pfizer Global Research, coming to this country not knowing anyone, but managed to build a network. Uh, to manage to build a great network. How do you build a network? When you, can't, uh, when you can't go to conferences and interact with people? Well, first of all, you're talking about Mac. And Mac is the guy who was a chief medical officer for Pfizer. He's the guy who created Zoloft and helped with the Viagras and ZPAC and all this amazing stuff. And he's the person who got me that honorary PhD with Tonino Lamborghini in India, as a matter of fact. And the whole idea is that you put yourself out there where you would like to be. For example, uh, if I wanted to catch... Uh, shark, I could not go to a freshwater stream down the field. I'd have to go to the deep sea where the where those are. So we understand the power of fishing in the correct fishing holes. And by doing so, you start attracting what it is that you want. And by the way, I got two more minutes. So we got to wrap yeah. up here. Yeah. And I appreciate you having me on this show today. And it's been exhilarating being asked some really cool, unique questions. So here are the last two questions. And we have time because uh, you're usually pretty quick about there's a piece of advice in the book about going big, then go small. What's that mean? Well, I think you have to have a big vision and then you break it down into baby steps is a simple thing. So for example, when I want to make this major motion picture that I'm working on right now, I got this big vision of this big cast, these giant movie stars. It's going to cost $10 million. Now I go, okay, all I need is a cast and $10 million. <laughs> so you start breaking it down and go, well, what does that look like? And how do I do it? So I sit there and say, all right, well, what if I go after an actor and we offer him $500,000, but we'll give him 10% in an escrow account that locks them in. And so that way, even if the movie doesn't get paid, they get 50 grand, but now at least got a name star attached to it. Then I can use that star to go get another star. Then I can do this. And so I think big and then I break it down, just like that quote said, you know, a, a dream written down with a plan becomes a goal, a goal broken into steps becomes a plan, a plan backed by action makes your dreams come true. It's so important to have these baby steps along the process and then everything's possible. Greg, you were awesome. And I'm hoping that you're going to invite me back uh, so I can um, be a part of that group that you had mentioned, uh, the secret knock. Uh, and uh, We'll be thrilled to have you again when you come out with your next book. 
Absolutely. Well, we got 128 of them, so we can do this on all of them. But more importantly, everyone, if you're, if you're sitting there going, I want to come play with you, come. Secretknock.co. Secretknock.co. We left the M off so no one could find us, yet they still did. Secretknock.co. Fill out an application, say I'm in. The next one's in March. It's going to be spectacular, I'm going to tell you right now. So you definitely want to put yourself in this circumstance. Thanks for having me on, champion. All right. Wonderful. Everyone have a great weekend. Thanks again, Greg. And you have a great and safe weekend. And everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We will not be on next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Best Business Minds. Tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live recordings. Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time.